Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into recent market volatility and we'll be looking in particular at the equity markets. And to do that, we're very kindly joined once more by the Head of Equities at Frederick and Oliver, Mark Kimsey. Mark, thank you very much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me again. So, Mark, we were speaking a few weeks ago now in what was, looking back, a particularly benign period in markets. And we're going to be going back to some of the stocks that you highlighted at that point. But... To start with, we're going to be focusing on what's been happening in the last week in equity markets. We're going to have a focus on UK equity markets. We're going to go back to some of the ideas that you had last time, in particular Vodafone. We're going to be looking at what's been happening there. So I think we're going to start actually, Mark, with you know quite quite a broad question, and this is maybe one down to your professional experience as well as your personal preference. But you know, when we're looking at the, the conditions that we've seen in the last week, of course, induced by the failure of SVB, do you prefer a more volatile market for your trading style and your investing approach? Or do you prefer more benign markets and, and more sideways trading? Um, good question. Um, it, it comes down really to the preference of the individual clients that we work with. We we have some clients that like to be active, like to attempt to day trade or be in and out of a position within a week. And of course, volatility provides those opportunities. Um, but with volatility comes greater opportunity to make money, but also greater opportunity to lose money, right? Um, so that can be fun, um, but can also be bad for uh, the, uh, you know, the, the wrinkles and the grey hair. Um, you've seen my head, there's, uh, there's no hair on it to go grey. Um, financial markets uh, saw me lose that many years ago. Um, so I think if it's all about how you structure your portfolio towards the market, generally speaking. I would rather a trend, and I don't mind if that's an upward trend or a downward trend, but I would rather be sitting pretty in long positions in an upward market or sitting pretty in short positions in a downward market and, and let the market do the hard work for me and just let me check in periodically to see how much more money I'm making. Um, so what one would probably propose is that investors seek to let the market do the work for them for the main. So be sat long or short in a rising or falling market and just enjoy um, the, uh, the improvement in the portfolio value. But if you are, you know, a sort of skydiving, stroke bungee jumping kind of adrenaline junkie, then assign a small portion of your portfolio to play in the market volatility. Um, and you can have some fun there if you double what you've got in your trading pot. Great. If it halved, you know, it would be irritating, but not 
significantly detrimental to the overall portfolio because the bulk of it is doing the sensible thing, not outright speculation. Fantastic. Thank you. Very insightful. So let's go back to the markets. What's been happening, Mark? Of course, uh, last week we started to hear rumblings from SVB. And of course, over the weekend, we had the authorities in the United States step in to uh, shore up uh, depositors' confidence, saying they would back them up. And of course, here in the UK, the SVB UK arm would bought out by HSBC. But looking at what's happening in markets yesterday, and again this morning, um, those moves haven't really shored up the, the the confidence in equity markets. There's still a level of volatility out there, although we're off the worst levels that we that we saw in the last week. But looking at this, and maybe make some comparisons to, to crisis, if you could call this a crisis, uh, we've seen in the past, Mark. But when you're looking at it from your standpoint, do you feel what's happening here with SVB is, is a blip or, or do you think there's any weight to this volatility and we could see further downsides in in markets? And yeah, I think if we address that first, then we'll, we'll come on to the likes of, of Credit Suisse afterwards. Well, Firstly, Jonathan, we we can you know quote old cliches like you know there's no smoke without fire, for example. Um, also, uh, yesterday we had Biden uh, address the nation and, and and well the world because of the uh, the audience that he he uh, he commands. Um, we had CEOs of a number of uh, regional banks appearing on CNBC, and and the the whole message was don't panic. Um, but I, I liken that to the, um, you know, the, the, the board or the chairman of a football club backing the manager. Um, it's usually the kiss of death. Now, whilst I'm not suggesting for one minute we're on the precipice of a, a, a market capitulation, um, I do think that we can't confidently know that we're not. And so if in doubt sit it out is uh, one of my favorite phrases and i think there is a large element of doubt i mean you know without diving into the nitty gritty of 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 what caused the issues that we're seeing at the moment um we can say as a matter of fact two us banks in svb financial and signature bank have failed you know, let's let that sink in. Two US banks have failed in the last week. That isn't something that we should shrug our shoulders at and, you know, move on from, uh, in my opinion. And, you know, these regional banks, it started out that this could be dismissed as an isolated incident with a regional bank in the middle of the US somewhere. Well, that's quickly now become a much bigger issue. Um, There's talk about contagion, who owes who money, is SVB the first domino of many? And And we just don't know the answer to that question, to the to the risk of contagion, and confidence is shot to pieces. I mean, yesterday, uh, First Republic Regional Bank lost 62%. Um, we saw a number of other regional banks, there was a handful of them down anywhere between 25 and 50%. That's on the day. And again, let's let that sink in. 
US banks, albeit regional, not the main players, have lost up to 50% in a session. This is of significant concern. Um, First Republic, who I mentioned were down 60% yesterday, have lost 75% of their value in three trading sessions. So this is a problem. And these regional banks, because the US economy is so gargantuan in size, even though this is you know a, a bank or chain of banks in the middle of nowhere and, 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 is, and doesn't hold the same prestige as a JP Morgan or a Goldman Sachs, First Republic Bank, before the recent um, capitulation in share price, was comparable to the size of Lloyd's in terms of its market capitalization. So they're serious financial institutions and they're disappearing right before our very eyes. So I, I hope it's a blip, um, to, to use that term, but I, if somebody has more detail than I have at my, uh, at my hands here, I would love to see it. I would love somebody to bash the calculator and calculate the level of risk. But you can see that investors, depositors are not prepared to sit around and wait for that outcome. They are, they are leaving in significant numbers to not get caught up in what could be another financial crisis. Yeah, so it was quite interesting that you're mentioning the the regional banks there because some of those banks opened up 80% down yesterday. You know, that's huge moves. And, and it's actually, you know, when we're sitting here in the UK, it's, it's quite interesting because you hear regional banks and you think they're quite small, but it's quite an interesting point that you made there, Mark, that some of these banks are the size of Lloyd's. Um, and, and Lloyd's is a cornerstone of many retail investor portfolios here in, in the UK. So that's quite a, quite a good comparison. When we're sort of looking at this this volatility and, and contagion to other banks, I mentioned Credit Suisse, and indeed we saw Standard Chartered down uh, about six or seven percent yesterday by the close. I mean, is it is this something that should be of concern to people, or maybe not in the case of Credit Suisse because there's been issues there for some time? I mean, could could you view this as a potential buying opportunity? if you have an interest in these banks. And you obviously said there's a time to sit it out. Um, you know, what would you keep an eye on for a trigger to maybe step back in to, to some of these names? Again, it, it comes down to risk profile. Everybody's different and everybody's, you know, either prepared to take a punt or not. But I, that's what I would chalk um, a speculative position in any of these institutions um, uh, to it, it would be an outright punt. Um, you know, First Republic, I think on Friday, were down more than 50%. Well, if one had had a punt then, thinking they were clever, uh, yesterday they fell another 60%. So knowing that, you know, those moves are, are, are being witnessed, um, yes, it might be. And I've seen pre-market, um, although we're very early for the US at the moment, I've seen some pre-market calls that First Republic might open up 20% today. So there will be this volatility that some might be able to play. But if you made or lost money on a, a day, intraday, one week trade on one of these banks, I would chalk it up to probably a bit of luck rather than any um, you know, real skill at being able to to trade because these stocks are like wounded animals. Uh, you know, they they might roll over and let you 
stroke their their their, their tummy, or, or or they might have your hand off. And um, and you know, if if somebody wants to speculate on it, I'm not there to talk them out of it because if First Republic jumps up fifty percent, well, what a great trade. But I think it comes down to managing your deal size. Um, bear in mind that you could lose 30, 40, 50, 60% on this trade for perhaps uh, an equal chance of, of, of seeing a gain of that magnitude as well. So, you know, do you want to occupy a 10 grand trade where you may make or lose three, four or five grand? If you're comfortable with that, go for it. But I wouldn't be putting the mortgage money on it, that's for sure. So let's talk about the wider market now, Mark, because we had quite an interesting conversation last time when we were speaking about some of the FTSE 100 blue chips when this market was up and around 8,000. Now, that that 8,000 mark uh, is quickly disappearing into the rear view mirror. At that point, you were saying from a holistic point of view, looking at the market, that it's it wasn't one that you were entirely comfortable with taking excessive risk at those levels, although the share prices were going up, particularly, and then I think we spoke about BP, there were analyst recommendations or price, sorry, rather price targets coming out at £10 when it's trading around £5. We've, of course, seen a, a step back. I mean, how is your view on the wider market and, and the approach to positioning evolved since we last spoke? Well, I can start answering that question by um, also answering the, the part of your previous question, which I, I failed to do, which was mentioned in Credit Suisse. Um, the, we were uncomfortable with the overall market on the basis that everything had gone crackers uh, in a northerly trajectory. There were stocks that had rallied from the October lows of anywhere from 30 or 40% up to like 200%. And we're talking about main market stocks. I mean, I I know that your listeners who have heard our last couple of podcasts have have heard me banging on about the simplicity of buy low, sell high. And a lot of those stocks were at very low levels in October, which is what prompted us to put together uh, the report in in that name. Um, And three companies on that report, uh, Aston Martin, Wiz Air and Rolls-Royce all went up over 100% um, and uh, in in the name of Aston Martin, almost 200%. So the markets had gone crackers, albeit from very low levels, which had then prompted the market to hit a record high as well. And there were lots of concerns at the time, which still remain, I might add, um, you know, uh, record inflation, albeit is it just sort of coming off of the boil a little bit. But last month, uh, US inflation surprised to the upside once again. We're going to get another CPI read this afternoon. So we'll see how that looks. But that has resulted in, of course, interest rates rising, which won't be lost on anybody. Um, But more recently, Fed Chair Powell's comments have been about the the terminal rate being perhaps higher than first anticipated and that rate being held for longer than previously anticipated. So higher, harsher for longer then sparked concerns of perhaps recession. So all of that was bubbling away in the background, whether or not Jerome Powell changes his view on things in light of the stress in the banking sector at the moment, we will see this afternoon. But throw into the mix the cost of living crisis, the fact that this could all boil down to unfavourable bottom lines for company earnings in the coming quarters. Let's not forget Russia, Ukraine for another 
little hot spot that could flare up at any moment. And who would have foreseen the banking crisis, mini crisis, whatever we want to call it at the moment. So we were just generally uncomfortable with stocks having risen very aggressively, markets at record levels, but seemingly there being many challenges that exist. And and since the last podcast, we've obviously had this banking issue. Um, And to come on to that banking issue and to touch on Credit Suisse, um, we have seen, it it was uh, noted yesterday by the financial press, that credit default swaps, which are effectively an insurance policy against uh, default of a company, um, credit default swaps against Credit Suisse um, are, are trading at a record high. So never before in the history of Credit Suisse's existence has the demand to insure against default ever been in such demand. And that coincides with currently Credit Suisse share price being at the lowest level ever on record. If you go back to 2015, 16, I forget the exact year now, um, you'll find Credit Suisse shares trading at very near to 100 Swiss francs per share. Today, they they currently trade at two francs per share. So this shows you that those who are institutionally involved and understand this banking situation, which I as a mere mortal do not thoroughly understand, that there is enough concern there for the selling to be such that shares are at record low and concern to be such that insurance against a default is at a record high. So this potential for contagion, which everybody is concerned about, and that domino effect is when does it go from what could be deemed a relatively insignificant regional bank, when does that domino knock into a tier one bank and Credit Suisse would be considered that tier one casualty. And then you're talking about, well, who did Credit Suisse owe money to? And we can then start throwing into the mix all of the big household names, be it Barclays, JP Morgan, and then you have a problem on your hands. So I've gone all around the houses there, but to come back to my view on the markets currently, um, I, I believe sitting, watching, um, cash on the sidelines, de-risking where possible. If you're sat in profitable positions that have vastly improved in recent months, I'll give serious consideration to taking those off of the table partially or wholly. Um, and, and whilst I'm not in a position to provide your listeners with financial advice, um, I do believe on being cautious. We all know the gains that can be had from the market. I named a few of them from our last report just a, a number of months back. Um, but I like to equally focus on the potential risk, what people could lose. And I've had some interesting conversations with clients in recent days that have said, crikey, Mark, I have lost a lot of money on paper just over the last week. And my concern is that if that is a true statement, the FTSE still trading at 7,500. What happens if the FTSE retraces to 7,000? It was 6,800 in October. What if it fell sub that? What if it fell to 6,000, which is still historically a healthy level? You wouldn't look at 6,000 on the FTSE as a crisis point, a recessionary level. The FTSE was at 3,500 at the bottom of the financial crisis, 4,700 at the bottom of the COVID pandemic. 
So to be at 7,000, 6,500, 6,000 isn't a panic level by any means. But if people are hurting from 8,000 to 7,500, then you've really got to consider your exposure should this situation escalate. So I'm not here as a, a doom and gloom me- merchant. I don't want to spread panic, but I do want people to think defensively about their portfolios and their exposure as the market does feel a little 50-50 at the moment. And I wouldn't want people's money just left to the whim of the markets. I would like people to be in control of their portfolios and, and take action um, rather than sit and wait. I mean, this plays that plays in very, very nicely. It's an interesting point that you actually made there. I'll just address Mark that, of course, this podcast isn't financial advice. Um, it's purely our views. So do listen to our disclaimers. But th- what you were mentioning there really does play in to my next question because, of course, you work very closely with investors, UK-based investors, uh, on a on a regular basis. And you've sort of touched on it there and you've highlighted, um, you know, some of the setups that you see and some of the conversations that you're having uh, with clients. But, you know, during periods of volatility, what, what, from your experience, are the biggest mistakes that you tend to see people make? Um, well, well, firstly, when the markets are high, there's usually a, a level of confidence among retail investors. They're doing quite well. Their portfolios are performing. They're feeling a bit happier with their investments. And that gives them the confidence to then maybe go on and undertake further investments. Um, and there's, there's not always a problem with that, but we do need to stop and check where the markets are and say, well, do you really want to buy at these levels? Which was some of the concern that I raised at the the last podcast that we had together. Um, you know, I had clients calling me when BP was at 570, having performed very well over the last year, record profits. And, you know, the, the question posed was, should I buy? And it, it you know, I'm not here to deter people from buying because I don't have a crystal ball and I don't know if BP is a, is a good or bad investment. But the, the shares are trading at 520 now. So that's the best part of 10% off already. Um, also from 2023 highs, we've seen things like Barclays down about 25%. We've seen Glencore down something like 20%. So that period when everything felt really rosy at 8,000 and retail investors were, were, were growing in confidence and talking about buying stuff, well, that coincided with us being actually quite cautious and saying, look, you might want to be careful here and maybe take some of your profits off of the table. That wasn't because we could see anything incoming. We have no clairvoyant sort of sorcery at our disposal here, but we've been around the block long enough to know that, you know, when things are, are down and looking pretty gloomy, you should perhaps be starting to uh, entertain the idea of buying something. And likewise, when the markets are high and you've done really well, you should start entertaining the idea of taking something off the table, buy low, sell high. You know, I keep banging on about the you know the, the, the most simplistic of stock market mantras. Um, but, you know, again, to, to sort of revert back to some of the notes that we've published of late for, for any of the listeners that are, you know, receiving some of our research, um, you know, we put out a, uh, a note on the FTSE 100 saying, be careful, is this the time to short sell? And that was with the FTSE at 7,900. Here we are 400 points lower. Also, whilst the FTSE was at 8,000, we put out a technical note um, that looked at the charts of both Rio Tinto and Tesla and said that these are now uh, 
starting to show potential for bearish moves um you know in in, in the coming uh, sessions and Rio Tinto has fallen 10% since that note and Tesla has fallen 15% since that note. Um, But at the time, actually, with the market at 8,000 and all of the excitement about China reopening, um, we probably looked like we, you know, weren't quite all there when talking about perhaps, you know, getting out of or shorting Rio Tinto. And likewise, Tesla was gunning from $100 up to $200. Um, and, and that looked like it was on a one-way ticket to uh, you, you know the moon. And at 196 we suggested that was something worth getting out of and or selling. So to, to come back sort of full circle to um, you know the mistakes or the pitfalls that investors can fall into, it, it's just about getting that mindset that when things are low and looking ugly, don't turn off, although intuitively they they do because the portfolio is usually looking pretty ugly and they don't want to talk about stocks. And also when the market is very high and they're very comfortable with their uh, portfolio performance, talking about selling or, or getting out, lightening exposure is also at odds with what they're currently enjoying. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, if, if there is something that... Uh, you know, retail investors could really work at is having that contrarian mindset to what they're seeing and trying to anticipate what could happen next. Lovely, lovely, Mark. So we're going to move on now. I mentioned at the beginning Vodafone. That was a company that you highlighted last time that we spoke. So it'll be, it'll be good to do a bit of a recap, actually, because it you know it's considered a defensive stock, one that you'd think would outperform, not necessarily go up, but one that would outperform the market in times of volatility. So how's, how's that progressed since the last time we spoke? Well, when we last spoke, you, you asked me if there was anything out there that I'd like to buy. And, um, you know, we, I think we've recapped. I was very cautious on, on, on what I would like to buy on the basis that everything had gone up and I didn't want to buy a stock that had gone up 50% or 100% on the concern that it could pull back and, uh, you, you know, it turns out to be a terrible trade. Um, so Vodafone was something that was still trading relatively low to its price over the last 20 years. I think the the low over 20 years has been about 85p and it was trading at about a pound when we discussed it last time around. So it was still relatively low. I liked the institutional buying of the stock um, as it happened since we last spoke, uh, the Emirates Telecom uh, company has uh, received approval to up its stake from 14 to 15 percent. Let's not forget a year ago that was about eight percent. So they've almost doubled their holding over the last year at various prices between 120 and 90p, um, coupled with um, a five percent stake being acquired by Liberty Global, uh, which is a big US telecoms outfit run by a, 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 a telecoms guru billionaire. Um, And we also know that uh, a French telecoms billionaire um, by the name of uh, Javier Neal has also acquired a a two and a half, uh, perhaps 3% stake. I'd have to check my numbers there in the stock as well. So what we can say is that Vodafone now, something getting on for 20, 25% of the stock is held by three entities, be them companies or individuals that are um, that are successful telecom sector players, um, either multi-billion pound dollar companies or individuals who have looked at Vodafone at this price and said, 
we'll have some of that. Um, so sometimes, you know, you, you don't follow people blindly, of course. Uh, you know, do your own research is the uh, the old caveat. But is a lot of your research being done for you on the basis that, well, they they know their stuff and if it's good enough for them. Um so yeah, you know we 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 still quite like the, the look of the company. It's always a slow burn. Um, you, you're not going to get rich quick with Vodafone. It's got a 12 month target price uh, across um, analysts of about one pound twenty, suggesting something like 20 percent upside if they've got it right. Uh, pays a dividend of something around seven percent, which isn't too shabby if you have to sit and hold for a while. And talking of its defensive qualities, well, of course, it is lower. Uh, we spoke about it at a pound, and it's ninety-six p today, so four percent the wrong way. But when you compare that to what's gone on in the wider market, and as I mentioned, Barclays twenty-five percent off their twenty-three high, Glencore down twenty percent, you can see the value of sometimes being in. Uh, more boring stocks, um, they they won't punish you quite so severely in troubled times. Thank you, Mark. So, of course, as we said, that Vodafone's one that has an improving fundamental, and I would argue that uh, uh, can be classed as, as a value stock because it does present some value. Obviously, looking at the chart, the momentum has not been with it, but uh, over the last five years, but sort of looking at recent moves, recent developments, one, one that's, that could be making a change soon. So, Mark, my last question here, you know, obviously what we've spoke about, uh, you know, sort of you mentioned at the beginning one, a time to be sitting out of markets. I mean, is there anything that you're looking at now or is it, or is it just a case of sitting back and, and waiting for the dust to settle before um, doing too much in these markets at the moment? Much to the disappointment of uh, traders, investors and your audience, I, I would firmly be in the camp of sitting tight for now. Um, sitting tight never earned anybody any money. And of course, with the current rate of inflation, your the value of your cash is eroding uh, all the while you, you sit tight. Um, but with the market the way it is right now and the volatility that we're seeing and the potential for tens of percents to fall off of values very quickly, actually letting inflation erode your cash slightly is probably better than letting the market erode it quite dramatically. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't look at defensive plays like a Vodafone that might pay you 7% over the course of a year, which, you know, stock price performance permitting might help offset some of the pain. But I think we really need to see how this banking sector issue pans out. Like I say, we are currently experiencing banks failing and this just in a matter of days has spread to significant questions being raised about uh, a tier one bank in Credit Suisse. So it's gone from who's that regional bank in the US to okay, it's uh, you know it's, it's it's on Europe's doorstep now. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I, I think be be patient and, um, and 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 certainly be scanning for opportunities. Um, but diving in two feet at the moment, I, I think, is a very risky thing to do. Well, Mark, that's that's been fascinating. Thank you very much. We'll be looking forward to the next time that you join us because looking at uh, the markets and the subjects that you've discussed today, we could be in a very different place to 
where we are now. Of course, we're at 7,500 on the FTSE 100. It'll be interesting to see where we are on the benchmark at that point. So, yes, very much looking forward to that uh, in the next few weeks. But for today, Mark, thank you very much. Thank you, Jonathan. Have a great day. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.